BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. State Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon is adding his voice to calls for a more urgent federal response to the growing spread of monkeypox. At a press conference in Los Angeles yesterday, Speaker Rendon called on U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra to declare a public health emergency. Rendon and others are calling for more testing and vaccines, especially targeting the most vulnerable people in the LGBTQ community, as as well as more training for healthcare workers. In a collision of sports and politics, Governor Gavin Newsom is demanding that UCLA explain its decision to leave the Pac-12 College Sports Conference for the Big Ten. UCLA's departure will leave just UC Berkeley as the only UC campus in the Pac-12. In a statement, Newsom says he wants to know from UCLA how moving to the Big Ten will benefit its student-athletes and preserve college sports rivalries and traditions along the Pacific Coast. Last month, both UCLA and USC announced they were leaving the Pac-12. The expected revenue from media rights as part of the Big Ten is supposed to help fund a variety of sports programs at UCLA. Community members in San Bernardino are demanding justice after a 23-year-old black man was shot and killed Saturday by police while he was running away. KVCR's Jonathan Linden reports. Tamika Davila King was talking on the phone to her son Rob Adams when suddenly he dropped off. And then all I heard after that was gunshots, and I, he never told me goodbye. Adams was fatally shot by police in a San Bernardino parking lot. According to security camera footage, two officers showed up in an unmarked car. Seconds after exiting their vehicle, shots were fired as Adams ran in the opposite direction. Police say Adams was carrying a gun and was displaying the weapon when officers drove up. But family members dispute that story and say he was holding his cell phone, not a firearm. Rob Adams was running away. He posed no threat when that officer shot him multiple times in the back. That's civil rights attorney Ben Crump. He's representing the family along with a team of local attorneys who plan to file a lawsuit this week. The police department has released a video response with the clips from body camera footage. In the video, Police Chief Darren Goodman says officers gave verbal commands, but the video doesn't include audio from that confrontation. Fearing that bystanders or the officers' lives were in danger, one of the officers fired his gun, striking Adams. Adams's father, Robert, says his son's life was taken too soon. He had plans to go to college. He was a good kid. To see my son get shot multiple times in the back, what father would want to see their kid killed on a video. Police have not released the names of the officers involved and didn't say whether they had been placed on leave. 
The San Bernardino Police Department reported to the State Department of Justice that officers shot and killed 13 men from 2016 to 2020. For the California Report, I'm Jonathan Linden in San Bernardino. How should California track its most dangerous sex offenders when they're released from confinement? And then where should it place them? This week, Governor Newsom signed into law a bill that would require the use of GPS devices to monitor so-called sexually violent predators when they're granted conditional release from a state mental hospital in Fresno County. Supporters of the law say it's necessary to protect California's communities. But critics of the monitoring, including the ACLU, know the sex offenders are only released after they've served both their prison time and a long period of civil confinement where they undergo psychiatric treatment and evaluation, and they're only released after they're deemed to be safe. The critics say the GPS tracking of offenders would be an invasion of their right to privacy. Newsom's signing of the GPS tracking law comes as residents of the desert town of Borrego Springs in East San Diego County are protesting the proposed relocation of possibly two repeat sexual offenders there after they're released from confinement. Terry Kellmeyer is a Borrego Springs resident and has organized local opposition. I have three kids, two of them have special needs. They are deaf, they can't hear. They will be terrified. My daughter, I, I can't even imagine if she has to go to bed, even thinking of the possibility of it happening, she will not be, be safe or feel safe. Meanwhile, San Diego County leaders are also speaking out against the possible release of sexually violent predators into Borrego Springs and other communities. We stand united together on this issue about doing everything we can to protect our communities from the dangers we face from sexually violent predators. That San Diego County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher speaking at a recent press conference. He says placement of sexually violent predators and communities should be stopped until more safeguards are in place beyond post-confinement visits and GPS monitoring. There's never going to be an ideal place. I mean, I think the best location, you know, that I've seen is, has been, you know, you can put a tra couple trailers in the parking lot of a state prison. More than 900 people have been classified by the state as sexually violent predators and are currently in confinement after they've served their prison sentences. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. San Jose Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren and other House Democrats want to update a law from the 1920s that lets the government grant legal residency to longtime immigrants who lack documentation. As KQED's immigration editor Tyke Hendricks reports, the bill, introduced yesterday, could provide a path to citizenship for millions. 
The Registry Act has been updated over the years, but the current version only offers green cards to people who've lived here since at least 1972. Lofgren says that cutoff is way out of date. People need to realize the registry is nothing new. It's been part of immigration law for almost 100 years. Our country will be much stronger if we enact this bill. Under the new bill, with a rolling cutoff date, immigrants could apply on a case-by-case basis if they've lived in the U.S. for seven years. At a press conference with Lofgren, a 20-year-old Livermore woman named Vanessa said the bill would transform her life. She came from Mexico with her parents at age two and didn't give her last name because she's undocumented. With registry, I can apply for residency right away, and I could participate in my college life and transfer to San Jose State. I could work to support myself and help my parents, and I will finally be able to breathe. Advocates say the legislation is a simple fix that could enable nearly 8 million immigrants like Vanessa to become contributing Americans. But opponents say it would reward illegal immigration. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. How far should society go in trying to help the most severely mentally ill? Well, a bill moving through the state legislature seeks to create a new kind of court system in California, one with the authority to compel some people to receive mental health treatment, even if they don't want it. The proposal has sparked an intense debate about personal freedom and how best to protect people from the toll of mental illness. From Los Angeles, KPCC's Robert Garova reports. The plan, first introduced by Governor Gavin Newsom in spring, is called the Community Assistance Recovery and Empowerment Act, or CARE Court for short. And the basics, as currently written, are this. People living with a serious, untreated mental illness could be referred for a court-ordered care plan. The court intervention could be initiated by a family member, county behavioral health workers, or even first responders. If the care plan fails, the person could be hospitalized or referred to a conservatorship. That might mean forced treatment, stripping some of the patient's individual rights. The secretary of the California Health and Human Services Agency, Mark Galley, says part of the goal is to make sure people living with a serious mental illness don't have to get to that most drastic step. One of the key tenets of care court is to prevent, avoid conservatorship. Galley says there's broad agreement that something needs to change. He says care court could help between seven and 12,000 Californians, but not everyone agrees. Fun care, not cages. Protesters in front of the L.A. County Board of Supervisors called for the county to bring thousands of mental health treatment beds online. They say that would divert some of the people in L.A. County jails living with a serious mental illness. Some 40 groups, including Disability Rights California and ACLU California Action, signed a letter opposing Care Court. California Senator Tom Umberg, co-author of the Care Court bill, says he's fully aware of those concerns. And those, particularly family members who had tried everything and now are tearing their hair out because they don't know where to go and they don't know what to do. New York University sociology professor Alex Barnard is currently researching involuntary treatment in California. He says it can be difficult to untangle where family struggles are tied to their family members not realizing they need help and refusing treatment. And the fact that the system is just incredibly complicated for families to navigate and often isn't providing what they think they need and what their family members might actually accept if it was given to them. Experts estimate California should have at least 50 psychiatric inpatient beds for every 100,000 people. According to data from 2016, it had less than half of that. 
Barnard says in places like France, which has a public mental health care system, they don't need judges ordering people around because treatment is guaranteed. I think in the U.S. we believe we can innovate our way out of crises. You know, at some point, there's a question of just what is the basic infrastructure here? Like, where are the clinics? Where are the housing units? Who are the professionals? Barnard also questions whether Care Court could put further strain on public guardians' offices throughout the state. Scarlett Hughes is executive director of the California Association of Public Guardians. She believes Care Court would open the door for more conservatorships in the state without any long-term funding for a system that's already struggling. Every single county is having enormous problems finding appropriate placements for their clients at all levels of care. Mental health advocate and writer Victoria Marie Alonzo grew up in Downey and now lives on the Central Coast. She's also a new grandma. My family is my most important thing. Alonzo says she suffered through hallucinations and thought she was receiving messages from God two decades ago. In 2008, a team of doctors eventually diagnosed her with schizoaffective disorder, which she says is now in remission. About 10 years ago, she was part of a mental health crisis team, which went out on calls in Santa Barbara County. You know, I had to go like two, three hours away to find the bed, and they were suicidal, and they needed help right away. And so like crisis teams, I mean, their hands are tied when there's no bed. Alonzo likes the idea that CareCord would allow family members to bring up concerns about their loved one's mental health. Because so often people who suffer from a serious mental disorder that's untreated have no way to advocate for themselves. But Alonzo worries that people could have unfair restrictions put on them if family members or other CareCord petitioners don't have their best interest at heart. She says she'd like to see more investment in preventative care and education so that maybe a court never has to enter the picture. For the California Report, I'm Robert Garova in Los Angeles. And that is the California Report for Thursday, July 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org slash health dash equity. Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. Personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.